Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hello, this is The Review, a podcast from the Atlantic's culture team about movies, television, and all the things we make to entertain ourselves. I'm Sophie Gilbert. I'm a staff writer at The Atlantic, and I'm joined today by two other staff writers on our culture team, Megan Garber. Hello. And Shirley Lee. Hi, hi. How are you both doing? I'm sorry, we, I mean, this is the point where we have to get into our voices. How are you both doing? That was a really terrible. <laughs> I've been practicing <laughs> my Elizabeth Holmes voice. This is an inspiring podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, as, as you maybe hopefully can tell by now, um, otherwise we, we sound deranged. Uh, we are here to talk about The Dropout. Um, the Hulu series stars Amanda Seyfried as Elizabeth Holmes, the founder of Theranos, the infamous tech company that crashed rather famously starting around 2015 and was revealed to be essentially a huge multi-billion dollar fraud. But that isn't the only scammer show on television these days. There's Apple TV's We Crashed about WeWork's husband and wife founders, Adam and Rebecca Newman. There's Showtime's Super Pumped about the rise and fall of Uber's founder. And of course, there's Netflix's Inventing Anna about the socialite scammer Anna Sorokin. Why are we so fascinated with the rise and fall scammer narrative these days? And what do these shows reveal, if anything, if much, about American culture at the moment? Um, before we get into that, though, let's start with the dropout. The dropout. Uh, Megan, <laughs> can you please remind people a little bit about who Elizabeth Holmes is and what exactly happened to Theranos? Oh, sure. And I promise I won't do the voice sure. anymore. Sure. Okay, that's the last one. Um, <laughs> but yes, Theranos was a blood testing company that Holmes founded, um, I believe, in 2003. And at its peak was valued at $9 billion, billion with a B. Theranos, as a term, is a combination of therapy and diagnosis. Um, so basically, the company's pitch was right there in the name. They wanted to do both therapy and diagnosis at once. Once, and they wanted to do it through devices that they developed, or as it would turn out, claimed to have developed, where they could run more than 200 diagnostic tests with, as one of the taglines went, a single drop of blood. Here at Theranos, we see a world in which every person has access to actionable health information at the time it matters. A world in which no one ever has to say goodbye too soon. A big part of the mythology of Theranos had to do with Elizabeth Holmes herself as kind of a, a person and as a character. She mm -hmm. founded the company as a 19-year-old and was very quickly hailed as a business icon, treated in a lot of places as essentially the next coming of Edison or Tesla or Steve Jobs. There's much more to talk about, but I'll skip ahead to the downfall section of the story that you alluded to, Sophie. So in 2015, the Wall Street Journal came out with a 
really damning report showing that Theranos' central technology simply did not work. And in short order, the company, as both a business and as a myth, fell apart. Um, Holmes and the company's COO, Sunny Balwani, who I'm sure we will also talk about on this podcast, <laughs> were indicted for fraud. Uh, Balwani's trial is actually taking place right now. And at Holmes's trial two months ago, she was convicted and is currently awaiting sentencing. I have a long time ago watched the Alex Gibney documentary mm, yeah. on Elizabeth mm-hmm. Holmes and Theranos. And um, Theranos, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it in <laughs> Theranos wrongly this whole way through. Uh, but I, I really wasn't, I think, fully aware in my soul to what extent it was a complete and utter scam from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciated mm-hmm. the dropout's elucidation of that fact while also appreciating a lot more about it, including the fact that it's created by Liz Merriweather, who also created New Girl. Yes, so it's yes. a lot funnier than I was expecting. Um, mm-hmm. like, but mm-hmm. I think sometimes both deliberately and um, and subtly <laughs> so. Shelley, what did you think of the show? What were your impressions? The Liz Merriweather factor is also something I love about it, that it injects some review called Elizabeth Holmes, this kind of adorkable character, no, no. much <laughs> like Miss New Girl, but dark. Look, when we're introduced to her, right, she's like running and she just won't quit, even though she's running really awkwardly. You know, she does like strange things, like she decides to sign her name on a flag that had flown over Afghanistan and gives it as a gift to these Walgreens execs. There are those like really strange, quirky moments and Meriwether at the head of the show is kind of turning it on its head. But what I thought of the show in general, when I first started it, I was finding it not as compelling as I would find it later in the season, Mm -hmm. especially in relation to all of the other scammer shows. For one thing, it is really busy. I mean, just listening to Megan try to sum up what happened with (laughs) Elizabeth Holmes succinctly, like it, it captures it all. There's so much to talk about, right? She was self-mythologizing. She was also coming up at a time when people were really insisting on female founders break the glass ceiling, partly out of good intentions. And then also partly, especially on the part of those male execs that you see in the show, they wanted someone to hitch their wagon to. And then you have the whole fallout over the scam itself, whether it was her being super competent in scamming or her truly believing in a lie and and omitting the parts of it in order to continue this lie. It's just, there are so many layers to it. And the show at first felt like maybe it was being a little too busy. But then as I watched all of these other shows (laughs) sort of at the same time, I I liked it more than I thought I did because it had a good amount of balance between focusing on Elizabeth Holmes and figuring her out and the impact that this company had, which is something that a lot of these other scammer slash startup culture shows, I think, eventually missed in favor of highlighting just the founders. I've had this sort of semi-uneasy feeling watching the dropout, I think in large part because of Amanda Seyfried's performance of liking Elizabeth Holmes more than I should. And and it does, I think, bring up to the fore a, a question, which is, do you risk with these kinds of shows like glamorizing the scammer and mm-hmm. the art of the scam? Did you guys mm-hmm. have that feeling with any of these shows? I felt that way about Inventing Anna. When I talk about the dropout, I do, I feel like I am consistently talking about it in relation to all these other shows, it's like inextricable from the fact that there are so many other shows about scammers. Inventing Anna, I think, kept putting her in a wardrobe that was more put together than the real Anna Delvey, Anna Sorokin. Mm. Whereas I feel like the dropout in comparison did a better job of keeping her hair looking a little 
not quite together <laughs> and her costuming just a little bit frumpy. She wasn't glamorous. We were projecting something onto her. I feel like the dropout got there, whereas like Inventing Anna did not. That's a really interesting point about Elizabeth Holmes, how she didn't style herself as Mm -hmm. such a kind of obvious construction on purpose by herself. Like, I think she was told by other people that she needed to be that to be a success. And Mm -hmm. so in some ways, she's less transforming herself to sell an image than she is trying to fit an image that she's trying to sell. In the case of all of these other figures that we're talking about, they had a vision of themselves as something, right? Travis Kalanick wanted to be an asshole, wanted to create bro culture at Uber, He slicks back his hair. He creates an image for himself. Anna Delvey certainly had an impression of what she wanted to be. Elizabeth Holmes went in thinking that she could follow the playbook of all of these other college dropouts before her. So she thought she could just dress as casually as Mark Zuckerberg. And she thought that if she followed that playbook to the letter, people would respect her the same way. She had to be told (laughs) that there's a double standard for women. She's clever enough to follow a new playbook once it's presented to her, but she did not come up with this persona on her own until she realized that there was another one that she should be exploiting instead. When I was with Mark Zuckerberg, he was wearing soccer sandals, flip-flops. Yes, but you are a woman. If you wear soccer sandals to work, everyone would think that you're having a mental breakdown. It's so interesting with these shows, too, because when we say Elizabeth Holmes, do we mean the character as presented on the show or do we mean the real life character? And one of the things that's so interesting to me about these shows is, I mean, the lines between fact and fiction really are kind of blurring together. And one of the things that's really interesting to me about the sort of creative decisions made with these shows is that so often they seem to live in the aesthetics of like melodrama and camp, you know, where they're taking these stories that happened in real life and that happened with real victims and real people. You know, that was such a big thing of the Theranos reporting when it first came out was, you know, they were inflicting their lies on real medical patients. And that was part of the outrage of the whole thing. And so we're talking about these real world stories, and yet we're watching them presented and rendered as styles that are as far removed from reality as possible by design, you know? And so you're seeing these things play out as melodrama and everything feels kind of hyper real and just, you know, just larger than life and a little bit cartoonish. And obviously that was intentional on the part of the creators, but I sort of wonder what it was intended to do and and what it was maybe intended to skirt a little bit because I think when you sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, put this real story in the realm of camp, um, for example, you're kind of letting yourself kind of have it both ways. You know, you're you're telling the true story Mm -hmm. and you're sort of capitalizing on the interest in these news stories that were out there, but you're also giving yourself freedom to just do whatever you want to with the narratives in question. These are people who succeeded off of the images that they sold, images that got amplified through magazine covers and wishy-washy awards about, you know, breaking the status quo or the glass ceiling or whatever. And then their downfall has yielded even more stories being written and reported. And then it all got filtered back to Hollywood thus tethering them further to the narrative of celebrity and to the narrative that they were important because they did something bad. And 
I don't know how to get out of that. I've had a little trouble finding other shows that make me feel like I'm not supposed to be weirdly rooting these people on, but also condemning them at the same time, right? But I, what I appreciate about The Dropout is that the show, when it comes to that structure, I think it does have absurdity. It does have that heightened humor built in to comment on how weird Elizabeth Holmes was but also how weird startup culture was. But as the show goes on, it gets a little bit more somber and it becomes less about her awkward social skills or how weird Silicon Valley is. And it ultimately gets to a point where it's not just about her, it's about the impact. I mean, it's just vitamin D levels. Yeah, what happens when it's syphilis? Or Hep C. You know they're going to start running the Hep C on the Edison's any day now. Do you really think she'll let that happen? Dude, she is the CEO. She knows what's going on. She's purposefully giving people bad results. That's not her. With so many companies, with so many scams, celebrity is really inextricable from success. Like, it's like the fake it till you make it thing. And so maybe Theranos, Ther- Theranos was only um, as successful as it was because of the kind of mystique and the legend around Elizabeth Holmes, which which urges the question, like, in giving people television shows, in, like, creating a, a Martin Shrelly character, <laughs> for, even for a second, and, like, inventing Anna, it, are we, like, adding to the pile? <laughs> are, we, <laughs> are we risking, like, further giving scammers what they want which is a high profile in our minds megan does that make any sense to you <laughs> no that's really interesting i mean i th- it's hard because yeah I, I think the point of so many of these shows is that at a certain point all of these like quaint divisions that we have between sort of you know brand and reality and image and truth like they do kind of fade away at a certain point and i think scammers actually get to that too i mean someone like anna delby slash sorkin certainly gets to that as does Holmes, as do all these people. Um, I Watching the shows, I kept thinking about this book, The Confidence Game by Maria Konnikova, mm. which is all about, it's so fascinating, and it's all about sort of the history and the, the psychology and the logic of scams and scammers. And one of the points she makes is that confidence people tend to thrive particularly in times of turmoil, times of disruption, mm. times when people feel especially especially vulnerable and that their lives are unsettled. And so scammers will often fill the need that people have to feel kind of reassured and feel that the world is coherent and whole and sensible. And they will, through whatever lies they choose to tell, they will give them that sense of security, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I think so much of these questions are actually proximate questions of vulnerability and precarity. And I think that part of what makes these shows, like why we're seeing such a flood of these shows right now, even though, like you said, Sophie, we, we're sort of creating it too by being audiences and all that stuff because another line that is sort of faded away right now is the line between, you know, producer and consumer, right? And, and that's another mm-hmm. sort of dynamic that's in flux. But um, I think that these shows are, there are so many of them right now um, and they're kind of flooding us all at once because I think that they get at these questions of sort of not just scammers, but this world that in general feels very precarious and very uncertain. And I think that the shows, you know, with mixed results, <laughs> but are trying in their way to sort of explore those questions and interrogate them and sort of acknowledge that viewers themselves might respond to any number of sort of elements that the shows are giving us. Um, but one of those elements is very likely 
exactly just that that almost kinetic sense of uncertainty and and precarity. Mm -hmm. But it's also interesting, I think, that a lot of these shows, the period that they focus on is like the early lean-in 2010s, you know, the moment Mm -hmm. of Sheryl Sandberg and the girl boss. So we had this slightly uh, baffling girl boss adaptation of Cruella at the end of last year, which really harkened back to a theme that I think we hadn't thought about for a while, which was this (laughs) idea of like the high achieving, burning people in her wake, in the case of Corella, like skinning puppies, <laughs> anti-heroine, uh, who was who was lauded in the 2010s as sort of the archetype of, of female success. And three of these series have women at, at their center. Julia Garner plays Anna Sorokin in Inventing Anna. Anne Hathaway plays Rebecca Newman in We Crashed. And Amanda Seyfried plays Elizabeth Holmes in The Dropout. So... Mm-hmm. Let's unpack this. Uh, <laughs> how, how do we feel Ooh. about these women? How do we feel about the girl boss now? Is there anything left to root for? The girl boss identity is certainly a deeply flawed one. And you see through these series and through these real life stories that the people who were able to exploit that narrative were people who already had a leg up. Um Rebecca Paltrow Newman already had a lot going for her. <laughs> Is that Gwyneth's cousin? <laughs> yeah, there's that moment in the show where she's like, I want to get into acting. And her dad's like, like Gwynny? <laughs> awkward pause, awkward pause, awkward pause. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the girl boss identity was something that white, wealthy women mm-hmm. could exploit, right? Mm. And they could tell themselves that what they were doing was furthering modern feminism. And I think something that's been interesting about these shows, even if they convey these in ways that are better in some shows, worse in others, there is the idea that all of these women and all of these other scammers that we're talking about or just cults of personality, they had these messiah complexes because they were rising at a time when people were really believing that if you never quit if you leaned in, if you got over your imposter syndrome, you could succeed. <laughs> the thing that we have seen more recently, maybe post the time period that these shows are set in, is really like the rise of influencer culture. Um, mm-hmm. And when you talked about like the backlash to this sort of specific brand of feminism that the girl boss movement enshrined, it made me think about Kim Kardashian's recent comments, which were Mm -hmm. sort of vilified very quickly. I think she was being interviewed about being an entrepreneur or something. And she said, I have the best advice for women in business, get your effing ass up and work. Um, And the response was, shall we say not generous because (laughs) uh, she is a woman of enormous privilege and beauty. She comes from a wealthy family. Um, obviously she's had hard moments in her life as everyone has, but, but it, it felt a little dismissive of all the women who are working effing hard, should we say without, without Mm. the benefits Mm. that she had. And it, it, it's just, it was fascinating to me to see the backlash to that image so quickly because it was something that anyone could have said, you know, 10 years ago and not had the same response. There are always moments of doubt, but as women, We have to start believing in ourselves and we have to start today. It shows that the women who were able to become girl bosses already had the means to become girl bosses, but then Mm -hmm. it shows the cruelty of the idea itself and that if you didn't work hard enough, um, then there was something wrong with you. If you didn't become a girl boss, then you were doing something wrong. And I think that's perhaps one of the reasons why the 
the whole structure collapsed. <laughs> it's not just about speaking up at meetings. It, it really isn't just about blowing past that feeling of imposter syndrome and ignoring it. You know, it, it's it's harmful to think that if you didn't follow those girl boss rules, you were failing all of feminism somehow. It's fascinating to watch them now too post-pandemic because I think the one thing that we've seen over the last two years is like really the flattening of ambition for women over the last mm. few years because they've had to do so many other things <laughs> during this time, you know, double as teachers and coronavirus test administrators every day. <laughs> and like all the, all the extra pressures that have been added have basically made work seem a secondary I mean, I, I've felt some of it, certainly myself, like this idea that the ambitions that I used to have to thrive professionally have really crumbled under the need to just cope and get through the day. <laughs> and so it's it's really interesting to kind of confront this girl boss idea now, Shirley, and, and the idea that, like you said, if you can't, you're just not wanting it bad enough or you're just not trying hard mm -hmm. enough. It's hard for some women to get out of their old thinking. It was hard for me, so it should be hard for you, but... You have to make sure that if you're out there and you have a new idea, you don't listen to a single person who tells you that you can't do it. What this is making me think about is just one element of the dropout that I find myself sort of retroactively appreciating, which is just the way that Elizabeth Holmes in particular, like so much of the mythology was built on the fact that she already had access to the power structures. And, you know, she had access. I mean, there's literally a dropout episode called, like, I believe, Older White Men, something like that. And, you <laughs> know, white I think men, yes. she, yeah, but that's right. And she did work hard for sure. But she <laughs> did that within the context of having access access to all these privileges that most women would never even dream of having, you know, and could never dream of having. And she exploited those. And she was in turn exploited, you could argue, by mm -hmm. a lot of those people who, you know, saw in her kind of an easy token, I think, you know, that or she reminded them of their daughters and granddaughters, and they saw someone slightly vulnerable and in need of help that they wanted to rescue. And, you know, there's just a lot of stuff going on there that I think the dropout, to its credit, really does explore. But I think that mm -hmm. Elizabeth Holmes, the character presented on the dropout, I think that there is kind of an interesting tension there between, you know, she really does work hard. She really does do all the things you're expected to do. She really does have ambition in sort of every dimension. But she is also immensely helped by all of these— wealthy, powerful, yeah. mostly white people who, you know, have decided to sort of take her under their wing. And I just, I find that tension really fascinating in the show. Yeah. Ultimately, it's like the girl boss identity was, maybe it was inspiring for some people, but it was ultimately used as an excuse yeah. for, yeah. Totally. Yeah, you know, a lot of these men to sign on to her board. You know, this was them supporting someone and th this was them d demonstrating how their own allyship, let's put it that way, yeah. or... Just, but yeah, you, you also think about the fact that like she was able to start her company because she got the seed money out of her, you know, tuition and her parents were able to pay for her. Like, yeah. I know, I love that line where she's like, I've already got my parents to lend me $16 million. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, excellent. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. 
Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I wanted to talk about the actors because it's always fun to talk about the actors. Um, Shirley, I, I know that you love Amanda Seyfried and want to talk about her <laughs> taxidermy collection. So <laughs> I do. <laughs> what did you think of her portrayal of Elizabeth Holmes? Elizabeth Holmes. I think she finally has a role worthy of her. And this mm. is not to discount her mm. Oscar nominated performance in Mank. <laughs> but I do think that. Also, Mamma Mia. Uh, Mia. Also, Mamma Mia. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I think of all of these like movie star to TV performances that we've seen, I think hers is the most successful. Mm. Uh, but Amanda Seyfried is a performer who's been around for a really long time. And is actually an incredibly kooky actress. The <laughs> aforementioned taxidermy thing <laughs> is just something that she revealed way back in like the early 2010s on an, an episode of Conan where she got so excited about him giving her a taxidermied raccoon with a rocket <laughs> strap to its back. <laughs> Like, she asks what the raccoon's name is. She, like, squeals. She she also criticizes that the raccoon it was not very well done. She has a taxidermy collection. She now lives on a farm and has, like, a dozen chickens. She's just, you would think that she would be more in the, I don't know, Hollywood structure, living in L.A. or or New York. Instead, she's just, like, having a grand old time in some farm in, I think, upstate New York. But... This is all to say that we often highlight actors like, say, Jared Leto for being weird and kooky and off the beaten path. And here's Amanda Seyfried, for, who for a really long time has been kooky. She just so <laughs> happens to be, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, playing a lot of ingenues and playing the ditzy, iconic <laughs> character of Karen on Mean Girls. It's She's done a lot of those romantic comedies and romantic Nicholas Sparks movies and it's only recently that I feel like she's fully allowed to do something weird and that is something nice mm. about Scammer TV that it has given <laughs> a lot of great character actors the opportunity to mm. just fully embrace something strange and try to give um a performance worthy of them really I, f- I do feel the same way about Julia Garner I just feel like the show around her is not good and Therefore, her performance ends up feeling like caricature, even though she is a good actor. I think the the thing that I'm really curious about, because in Alex Gibney's documentary, he really seemed to make the point that Elizabeth mm-hmm. Holmes was basically a sociopath and yeah. um, who did, as Shirley has mentioned, really harm people. Um, what do you think about Amanda Seyfried's performance? Like, does it run the risk of humanizing her too much? 
That's such a good question. I don't think it does. I, you know, it's it's so interesting. Um, that documentary really fascinated me. It, it, there was a lot of attention paid to Edison and how, in so many ways, Elizabeth Holmes really was like Edison in the sense of sort of fake it till you make it. And Gibney argued that you know Edison was sort of the original scammer in some sense, the original sort of fake it till you make it artist. And it just mm-hmm. so happened that he had enough time and resources to make it in the end. And but like you said, so. At the same time, it did also seem to be making the case that she perhaps does suffer from mental illness or perhaps is a little bit sociopathic. And it's so hard to sort of know as outsiders what the real truth is. And having watched, you know, I read Bad Blood, I watched the mm-hmm. documentary. I mean, you know, I've I've learned a lot about this story over the mm-hmm. years, and I don't have a good sense of who she is, ultimately. Um, and then, Sophie, to answer your question more specifically, um, that performance was so good. And I just think it was subtle in a way that it needed to be to help the show land. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I really appreciated about it was, you know, it felt like Seyfried was trying to sort of get at these questions of control, you know, how much of this really is Holmes herself, how -hmm. much of it is sort of expectations being levied on her, how much of it, you know, is Sonny Balwani, how much of it is her parents, how much of it is, you know, all these different things. And it's interesting to watch this show not long after her trial, in which one of the defense's sort of key arguments was that, you know, Elizabeth Holmes herself was not fully in control. She was at the Mm -hmm. mercy of other people and sort of, you know, it presented her effectively as something of a victim in all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and then, of course, the (laughs) prosecution came back and said, no, she was entirely in control this whole time. But it's fascinating to me that, you know, this performance in this semi-fictional account of Holmes and Theranos was really getting at the nuances, I think, of control and sort of, you know, at moments in the dropout, you really feel like, Elizabeth knows exactly what she's doing. She's completely in control of the situation. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, in the next scene, it'll feel like she truly is, you know, a little bit of a victim or having things imposed on her versus vice versa. And I actually did appreciate the interplay of those things because it feels true to the story, at least as I've come to understand it. This really is the way to sell this company. Your face, your dream, your story. People will trust this technology because they'll trust you. Elizabeth, Theranos is you. Yeah, there are some details in the show that I feel like explore that deliberateness on her part, but then also... Like when she cuts off the bra strap, she oh, does it like it, it's, it's not moment. like she's even really thinking about it. It's just something that was annoying her. Yeah. Or like there's that moment, I think it might be the same episode where her assistant tells her that she's so inspired to be working for a female boss and she just has this look of, huh? <laughs> like, let's move on <laughs> with our day. I'm doing work here. <laughs> this is an inspiring moment. <laughs> like, it's And it's just, I think you're right. It is a performance that's both deliberate, but at the same time, it's being shaped by the forces around her and she's taking it all in and then turning it into something else. Mm-hmm. So the show is faulting Elizabeth Holmes, this character at the same time that it's faulting the system that got built around her. It, it's almost like a chicken or egg thing. Things have changed so much. She's changed so much. The voice, the turtleneck, the whole demeanor. And Sonny, problematic. <laughs> well, let's talk about Sonny because Naveen Andrews, I've loved 
intensely since the Buddha of suburbia. Mm. And yet it took me maybe half an hour to realize that it was him in this role. <laughs> he just is, is not himself. And he just does such a good job playing a man mm. who I uh, had even less understanding of before the show than um, than Elizabeth Holmes. But it's really fascinating to see him be the foil to her, I think, because he's someone who's ha- who's older, has had success with his company and his $40 million, but who also feels like her, like an outsider. They end up being work partners, but he's also grooming her to depend on him. Mm-hmm. It is a menacing and disturbing performance. And yet there are also moments in the show where you're like, oh, this man is just desperate because he is an outsider. He -hmm. wants to be a part of this. There's that scene where he gets interrogated by the the TSA at the airport, right? And in that moment, you see him having to reckon with the fact that he is seen as an outsider. Like they're, they're strange. Like you can't look away, but at the same time, they do also feel human. It's Mm -hmm. both of them clinging on to some idea of themselves. And I think that's kind of resonant. Don't we all have an image of ourselves that we want to hold on to? Mm. It's just these two were working with extremes and then found each other and twisted it all into romance and owning a company and actually have like running, yeah, running a company that has employees that would all lose their jobs. They were horrible people. I mean, it almost sounds like you're talking about We Crash, though, because it's the same, like, Hmm. Lady Macbeth, Macbeth kind of (sighs) trippy thing going on. (laughs) Having watched the entirety of both shows, the difference is that We Crash leans in so heavily on almost lionizing these figures, Mm -hmm. the the Newmans, as this ultimate modern love story. Look how it all burned and crashed, and yet they still love each other. Whereas I feel like the dropout really did— Take it and think about what all of that wrought. The technology doesn't work. It's years away. People will be at risk. Actual people. The dropout also highlights what a strange romance this was and how much they believed in each other as this love story. But then it also cares about Stephen Fry's character. Ah, It also cares about the -the behind-the-scenes lab workers. It eventually, you know, focuses on the new hires who realize something shady is going on. You can't count the victims of these scammers on one hand for the most part. You know, the the effects Mm -hmm. radiate out and ruin people's lives. And often the people whose lives are the most ruined and the most left in shambles are the ones who don't get the media attention and aren't talked about and are sort of, you know, just considered Mm -hmm. not the point really. And if they are the point, (laughs) they are the main Mm -hmm. point. Um, So it's, it's, it's interesting to think about that with all these different shows. Yeah. (sighs) Shelley, you mentioned Stephen Fry's character, which made me want to Mm. ask you both, among the wealth of actors that we have in the scam shows, there are so many. Who is your person? I think Anthony Edwards is in two of them. He's in... Yes, Yes, he is. And also in uh, We Crash. Who is your personal MVP of (laughs) actors playing real people? Mine, I will say, is Uma Thurman playing Ariana Huffington. Oh, so speaking of accents, oh boy, oh boy, (laughs) darling, you you just have to, you have to love it. Um, It's just, whoever cast that is a genius and and crazy and I love them. Um, Who's your favorite? Um, This is the first that came to mind because I really do love this episode of The Dropout and that's when I was like, I think the show is getting to the point that I want it to get to. Alan Ruck 
playing a very yes. Connor Roy. Oh, Sarah so Connor. good. Here's the Casey Perry pump me up moment. Yes. He plays racing out of the car. car. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> just like racing out of the car past also another great actor, Mad Men's Rich Summer, just mm-hmm. to get so in the good. car and sing Katy Perry. <laughs> and also of all the songs, do you ever feel like a plastic bag? Like, just, <laughs> it's a great, excellent use of Alan Ruck. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. Megan, who's um, yours? I would say, well, so in terms of character, I really do feel like Ian Gibbons slash Stephen mm. Fry is sort of the moral heart of the dropout in so many ways, just sort of showing how good-hearted, well-intentioned people were still victimized, you know, by this fraud, mm. despite their best intentions and all of that. And I think just does such a good job playing playing that role. And so that's sort of the broad question. I would say also, though, for one pivotal scene— I would nominate the actor Dylan Minnette, who plays Tyler Schultz, sheerly for the scene at Elizabeth's 30th birthday party, where he performs the song that he has written for her, somewhat against his will, as people wearing Elizabeth Holmes' face masks watch, (laughs) and also as Sonny Balwani in the audience eats a cookie that has been frosted with Elizabeth Holmes' face. And that scene is just, I mean, I'm like, getting hive even just thinking about it just talking about it it is so like just purely awkward that i can't stand it and could i i just wrote down the lyrics of the could i just read you guys like please just a couple lines of the song just to convey for anyone who has not seen this scene how horrifically awkward it is so this is the song that tyler schultz as played by dylan minette performs for elizabeth holmes slash amanda sifried and in in the dropout of the birthday party uh, Galileo mapped a sea of stars. Noah told us of a coming flood. Noah told us of a coming flood. And Elizabeth, you will see the future in a drop of blood. Surely for that scene, uh, my MVP is Dylan Minnette. And he is forced to perform it again. Again, that's right! I love that so much. It's so good. Play it again. (laughs) Will you do it again? (laughs) Yeah, play it again. Okay. Those scenes, they're funny, but at the same time, they are deeply chilling. Oh, for because sure. she exerts that power over yeah. Tyler, just being like, "Well, you're going to play it again." It's, totally, everyone's it's watching. You can't say no. Everyone's watching. Yeah, <laughs> and you it's see the fear me. in his eyes as she as he's like, "Are you serious?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. And these other shows, they're entertaining. They are often funny, but they are not chilling to that degree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did not find Inventing Anna chilling, even though she also, you know, mm-hmm. hurt people. I, I get that she hurt a lot of rich, wealthy people. Come on. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and and we crashed. We, I just talked about that. And, and, and it, it's funny. It's not chilling. It's actually a lot about mm-hmm. toxic positivity. And there were mm-hmm. often moments in that show where I was like, I feel like some people are still going to think like this is the right way to think. Mm-hmm. You know, you can manifest it. <laughs> if you manifest hard enough, it's a, it's like an offshoot of girl bossery, right? Um, but yeah, and, and then 
we haven't talked much about Super Pumped, but Super Pumped is often just like the most aggressive out of these shows and trying to make you laugh about mm, the culture it's yes. presenting. It's like, boy, bro culture, what a weird time. <laughs> it uses all of these like very Adam McKay-esque flourishes. Beautiful. And the voice of Quentin Tarantino. Yes, with the voice of Quentin Tarantino. Whew. So he will randomly pop in and narrate certain elements, introduce certain characters. You also see like graphics presented on screen. There's a scene that it's is rendered like a video game about when yes. uber takes over new york city it's just not chilling it's meant to be entertaining and it's meant to be like shocking and aggressive and i found that even when the show tried to talk about say the way women were treated at uber again uber as in a company that travis kalanick called boober at one point <laughs> even when the show tried to tackle stuff like that it was still doing this weird gimmicky graphic stuff trying to get you into the story when it's like no there is enough tension in the story why don't we get at how deeply disturbing it is this is also making me think back yeah to your question sophie about like you know are we sort of risking glamorizing these characters by sort of consuming them through these types of shows and like surely i think to me super pumped is sort of the worst of these for every reason you just said because it's sort of it's like kind of nodding at the real world's consequences and sort of you know how ethically awful a lot of this stuff is and yet ultimately what you have is this very sort of superficial almost cartoonish mm -hmm. version of success. And success is a very male thing, a very white thing, a very, you know, a thing that is afforded only to the very best among us who, you know, it's all of these very, I think, toxic ideas about meritocracy and what talent affords you and what, you know, just all these ideas. And if, if you're willing to be enough of a jerk, as long as you you know, as long as you work hard and as, you know, all that kind of stuff, then it's okay. And, you know, I think that yeah. Super Pump sort of glamorizes those ideas and sort of what the show is most romanticized by really is the sort of allure of fame, of wealth, of power, et cetera, that Travis Kalanick represents. Everything that you both have said has led me back to this question, which I think we talked a little bit about the, the beginning of the show, but what like, have we learned anything from this enormous hmm. glut of scam TV shows? Like, is there any redeeming thought or thread or lesson hmm. that we can take away from everything that we've seen and, and move forward in hope? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or is the scam just, you know, I mean, I, the scam is like integral to American art. I mean, it's Harold Hill. I was I was reading Edith Wharton's The Custom of the Country this year, and I had to put mm. it down because Undine Sprague is so awful, and <laughs> and that is going to be a TV show eventually on Apple, directed by Sofia Coppola. So you know, content mm -hmm. content rules king again. But you know, it is it is this sort of like tale as old as time that mm -hmm. we keep not learning anything from. It's just sort of perpetuated again and and again and again in different forms. Um, is there anything to take from the dropout from Elizabeth Holmes? <laughs> I mean, if not, I can just present you now with the rather awkwardly commissioned cookies I had of both your faces. Ooh. I, I guess one thing I would say, but I also want you to sing to us and give us cookies for okay. the record. So yes. please. Yes. Um, I'm really interested in the questions that they're trying to get at. And so just on that level, I do sort of appreciate 
the fact that they exist. So, you know, all these anxieties about, you know, sort of the totalizing power that like lies themselves have in culture that we're sort of being reminded of anew every single day. You know, you have Trump's big lie. You have, mm. you know, um, conspiracism, which has always been, you know, an element of American culture and an element of really any culture, but right now just has so much more power, I think, than it used to have to shape everyone else's lives, you know, and all these, you know, sort of subsidiary questions about branding and, you know, influencers and sort of the lines between what's real and what's fake, especially in digital worlds and deep fakes and, you know, all these kinds of things. And I think these are like kind of the elemental anxieties of this moment that we are Mm. all in some way navigating together. And I appreciate when art um, and entertainment try to tackle them in some ways. So, you know, I do like that about these shows because I think each of them in their own way is trying to sort of examine those ideas. Um, Even though, again, I wish that they would be a little more nuanced, I think, in their approaches sometimes. But maybe that's too much to ask of these shows that are fundamentally just entertainment. I'm not sure. But I, you know, so that's, I guess that's how I feel. I like the, I like the ideas. I'm mixed on the products. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is one of the fundamental questions of our time. And in that sense, like, I don't think it's wrong to expect slightly more focused, not necessarily moralizing, but like slightly more focused um, interpretation and intention mm-hmm. rather than everyone like having a big old chaotic, fun, scammy, loud, like very growy yeah. time with kombucha on top. Do you know what I mean? And maybe there aren't easy lessons to be taken from any of this or mm-hmm. um, or not like ones that I can verbalize in, in this moment. But, but it, I don't think it's wrong to kind of wish that the treatment maybe at times, which I think the dropout does succeed, like you said, Shelley, mm-hmm. more than any of the other shows that we've discussed, to want treatment that does kind of know the stakes of the story it's dealing with. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we have thoroughly digested this moment of scam TV. Um, I wanted to finish with a game, and I would love to ask you both uh, to cleanse the palate, as it were. What are your recommendations for the best anti-scam content? Like, what is the, what is the antidote to this moment of scammery? What should we yeah. watch, listen to, digest, read? Well, I would say to detox from all your green juice, uh, it would be a good idea to tune into ABC's Abbott Elementary, which is also (gasps) available on Hulu. And uh, I also have a second show to recommend, which is HBO Max's Minx. And I think both of them are kind of underrated comedies at this point anyway. I think people are discovering them as they go. They are both fun about good people. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that sounds just so nice. when when we frame when we frame this as shows that are anti-scam, I think it's it's about characters who are not only well-intentioned and have good ideas, but are also working to collaborate with each other on what they are working toward. And that is something that is missing mm. in these scam shows because it is very much about one person pushing things forward at all costs. Um Aww. but yeah, Abbott Elementary, great comedy. It mm. when I first started watching it, it reminded me of Parks and Recreation because it's about a public school and the trials that teachers and administrators face in the public school system in Philadelphia. But it has become just one of my favorite, like, weekly watches, really. It's got a great cast that is very specific. There are cute kids. And the conflicts are not so, like, tidy after the first Mm. couple of episodes. And I think it's it's just great. And then with Minx, 
which is, I keep saying this, but it is on the opposite end of the male nudity spectrum. Uh, (laughs) It's set in the 70s. It's about the making of a porno magazine, much like Playgirl, that is for women and definitely not for watching with children. (laughs) But it's also (laughs) delightful, features some excellent performances. And it also has some things on its mind about the way a workplace is run. Megan, what is your anti-scam content? Oh man, those are ooh, those are so good. Those are so good. Um, the first one that came to mind, because I'm also in an Amanda Seffrid mode, um, I'm just gonna recommend Mamma Mia because <laughs> my goodness, in terms of just human joy, in terms of realizing in a non-scammy way the promise of we work, which is not me but we, which is there is joy <laughs> in the collective, there is joy when we support each other, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. No way of realizing that I think is better than blaring and singing ABBA music on a Greek aisle with sun and dancing and costumes and just an embarrassment of of talent and riches. You know, you've got Meryl Streep, you've got Christine Baranski, you've, I mean, just so many people. I can't even list all the people that are in this movie. But I would just say, if you want joy and escapism and anti-scam, Mamma Mia <laughs> never disappoints. Oh, I love Does that. Does she scam those three potential <gasps> deaths? Oh, no. Oh, Scam. It's not a scam. It's just a little. Also, also, they all meet each other pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's It's just like a Shakespearean (laughs) comedy of errors. It's fine. Hashtag girl boss. Yeah. (laughs) No, no, no. no, no. Um, My recommendation is very different. It's going to be a show that I was really obsessed with since it came out at the end of 2016, which is a show on Netflix called The OA. Starring and co-created by Britt Marling, it was a show about a mysterious woman who has disappeared from her adopted family and then she returns a few years later and she has this very outlandish story about where she's been and she gathers a group of small followers who are all like disaffected kids from the town where her parents live and you think, is she a scammer? Mm -hmm. Is this a big trick? Is this a ruse? Is she a cult leader? But it doesn't go where you think it will go. I think at the time I called it like the, a very radically sincere show, like in a show when everything mm-hmm. feels ironic and stylized and winking. It's a show that really kind of has its heart on its sleeve. Like it really, really <laughs> wants you to feel the things that it feels. And I love that about it. And I, no, it, there was a second season, but Netflix did not renew it after that. So <sighs> thanks a lot, Netflix. But I, I, that is my anti-scam show. Gone too soon. Miss you, the OA. That does it for the show. The review is produced by Kevin Townsend with help from AC Valdez. The executive producer of Atlantic Podcasts is Claudina Bay. And our art is by Charlie Lemignon. I'm Sophie Gilbert. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Sophie. <laughs> I was going to say someone has to end with a joke. We'll talk about this next week. <laughs> so fun to talk. <laughs> <laughs>